Tis the season to shine with H&M. Discover the holiday collection and find fashionable pieces for your wardrobe or for under the tree. Get inspired and dazzle with this year's glam. From tuxedo styles, bow detailed pieces, impressive prints, and more. From unforgettable looks to unforgettable gifts. With fashion finds to home decor, find it all at H&M. Treat your loved ones and yourself this season. Shop in-store or at hm.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the History of Africa. It's me, Andy, you know, from the show. Anyways, I'm just here to preface and let you know that this episode is going to be a little different. I'm pretty sick at the moment, so instead of forcing out a substandard sick voice episode, I decided to ask my patrons if it would be okay for me to release a premium episode from the vault. They said it was cool, so here we are. This particular episode is going to focus on the life of Abraham Samuel, the fascinating story of a pirate turned Malgasy king. If you enjoy the show, or if you'd like to support the show, just know that there's a whole backlog of almost 50 other premium shows just like this one at patreon.com slash historyofafrica. Thanks for bearing with me through these times of sickness, and enjoy. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the premium episodes of the History of Africa. Thank you for supporting the show. Today we're going to talk about Madagascar's pirate king, Abraham Samuel. Samuel's story, like all good stories, requires a prologue. In 1643, at the site of Monde Tolanaru in southeast Madagascar, a ship from the French East India Company docked and unloaded. Their mission set up a French trade colony in Madagascar. A little over 200 men got off the boat and got to work constructing a defensive fort. Their settlement, christened Fort Dauphine, almost immediately encountered existential problems. Perpetually short on food, suffering from disease outbreaks, and frequent mutinies among soldiers, the Fort Dauphine colony limped on for a couple decades. Located on Madagascar's east coast, far from the bustling ports to the west, few ships ever came past the colony to trade. The French made matters worse by antagonizing their Malgasy neighbors, often capturing and selling locals into slavery. Colonists often married local noblewomen to arrange new alliances with the local Antanosia people, who were divided among a few different kingdoms at the time, only to quickly abandon them when European women arrived. To make matters worse, they couldn't offer much that the locals actually wanted and couldn't get elsewhere. The only real trade good they had to offer were firearms, but those were widely available across Madagascar by this time, so they simply weren't the invaluable commodity they used to be. In 1674, the local Antanosier rose up, attacked the fort, and killed most of the French colonists. The survivors fled to a ship in the harbor, never to return. By the time our story begins, in 1796, the French colony in Fort Dauphine was a distant and unhappy memory. The French clay and straw fort stood abandoned near the harbor, a slowly disintegrating reminder of the French failure in the area. That year, though, a new western ship pulled into the harbor at Fort Dauphine. The 14-gun vessel, named the John and Rebecca, was a pirate ship. This was not the ship's first time in eastern Madagascar. The John and Rebecca had initially sailed to the Indian Ocean with an agreement to privateer on behalf of the British, but turned pirate quickly after, starting to raid ships from every nation. In 1696, the ship docked in Madagascar to recruit sailors. Over the next year, they raided ships across the entire Indian Ocean. In just one year, the pirates captured three large mercantile vessels and sailed back to Madagascar, seeking a place to hawk their ill-gotten wares. They ended up where many pirates ended up in Madagascar, the island of St. Mary's, the old base of Adam Baldrich. 
and they couldn't have chosen a worse time to visit the island, as they landed just a few days before the locals rose up in rebellion against the pirate settlers. In the intense fighting on shore, most of the crew of the John and Rebecca escaped onto the ship, but their captain was slain. Stranded in Madagascar without a captain, Stranded in Madagascar without a captain or a clear direction, the ship's crew convened to elect a new captain. The man they chose was, of course, Abraham Samuel. Researching Samuel is, well, hard. His early life, as we'll come to find out, is a matter of contention, since the exact location and date of his birth would end up being a critical facet of his political career on Madagascar. Our biography of the man prior to joining the crew of the John and Rebecca consists mostly of a few details and a lot of speculation. Before joining the crew, he lived on the French Caribbean colony of Martinique and was of a mixed-race background. That's all we know for sure. Due to his African heritage, Samuel was often assumed to be an enslaved worker, but this is not necessarily the case. Martinique was home to a pretty sizable free black and mixed-race population. Samuel was literate and educated in some capacity, though the exact extent is unclear. Now, in the French Caribbean at the time, it wouldn't be impossible or even that unusual for an enslaved person to know how to read and write, so this isn't all that definitive, but does kind of point us in the direction that he may have been free. Regardless, shortly after joining the John and Rebecca, Samuel quickly rose through the ship's Samuel quickly rose through the ship's hierarchy. In 18... In 1695, Samuel had earned the undying respect and admiration of his crewmates, to the point where he was elected to the position of quartermaster. The quartermaster of a pirate vessel was basically the sheriff of the boat, maintaining discipline and order among the crew, as well as leading the crew during boarding attacks, and was usually the only member of the crew able to outright veto a captain's order. So by the time that Samuel arrived in Madagascar, he already had an impressive resume as a leader. He had a year's experience of not only keeping order among a bunch of drunk criminals at sea, but also in conducting battles against usually pretty well-armed enemies. After the first captain of the ship was killed in the fall of the St. Mary's Pirate Settlement, Samuel attempted to sail the John and Rebecca to a new port of call, where they could rest, recover, and replace lost sailors. To make matters worse, within a few days of setting sail, a contagious disease entered the ship and ravaged the crew further forcing the newly promoted Samuel to look for a place to stop and recover at the first possibility. They sailed in an austral path, desperately seeking safe harbor, until eventually stumbling onto the abandoned harbor of Fort Dauphine in 1697. The streak of bad luck didn't end there. A week after pulling into port, a severe storm snapped the ship's rigging, stranding the pirates who took shelter in the ruins of the old French fort. After the storm had passed, some of the Antenosier people from around the area arrived to greet the newly arrived pirates. Now, this part of the story is quite shady, and nobody in the historical community seems to know quite what to make of it. The leader of this Antenosier expedition was a noblewoman who, upon meeting Samuel, began sobbing with joy, proclaiming that her long-lost son had finally returned to her. She explained to the very confused Samuel that, back when the Fort Dauphine colony was still around, that she had been one of the many local noblewomen to enter a diplomatic marriage with a French colonist. They had a child together in 1674, but when the colony was destroyed, her husband fled on a ship and took their infant child with them. This infant, she claimed, was Samuel. And here he was, 23 years later, back home. Suddenly, Samuel had gone from a stranded pirate captain 
to being hailed as a new king of a small Malagasy duchy. This story is absolutely freaking amazing, and like many absolutely freaking amazing stories, almost certainly not true. But to hide my cynicism for a moment, it's surprisingly not entirely implausible. We have no documentation for Samuel's age, so we can't cross-reference that, but had he been an infant in 1674, he would have been in his mid-twenties by the time he landed in Fort Dauphin, which is a plausible enough age for a pirate quartermaster. There is well-documented evidence that mixed marriages between locals and colonists were common at Fort Dauphin. The idea that a man fleeing Fort Dauphin could have ended up in Martinique is not impossible either. But, well, this encounter could have been any number of more plausible things as well. The noblewoman may have genuinely believed that Samuel was her lost son, but she could have been mistaken. She also could have been attempting to use the pirate for her own political goals. It was common across eastern Madagascar for local kingdoms to seek pirates as mercenaries or allies in political disputes. Identifying Samuel as her son may have just been a gambit to get the pirates to support her in some unknown local dispute, but to be realistic, it's unlikely that this interaction even happened at all. Our only source for this story comes from Abraham Samuel himself and Samuel had plenty of incentive to concoct a story like this one. Notably, the captain's purported encounter with this Malgasy noblewoman will serve as the key narrative to legitimize his political authority over southeast Madagascar. Over the next several years, Abraham Samuel and his crew became minor warlords in southeast Madagascar. In addition to the ship's crew, Samuel managed to raise some local Antinosia recruits to establish himself as a true power player in the region, taking control of several neighboring villages and establishing a small kingdom in the immediate areas surrounding Fort Dauphin. The effect that Samuel's reign had on the local population was muddled, to say the least. From what little we know about his reign, it seems like Abraham Samuel's rule as the self-proclaimed king of Fort Dauphin was not eagerly accepted by the local population. Whenever he traveled beyond the coast and into his domain, the pirate king was consistently accompanied by dozens of armed guards, indicating that he was very concerned about the possibility of assassination or revolt. Perhaps the motivation behind local unrest was Samuel's policy of pressing local men into military service. Throughout his career as a warlord or king, Samuel fought numerous battles against nearby Antinosia kings and nobles, and used locally impressed levies to fight them. But while they were landlubbers now, Samuel and his crew never truly gave up on their piratical ambitions. In fact, they would become infamous for a scam that they routinely pulled on passing merchant ships. Samuel's scam, or as I like to call it, the Scamuel, haha, was a pretty simple one. Ships stopped in Fort Dauphin on occasion, usually for simple food or repairs. The way the scheme worked was that Samuel would ally himself with another pirate crew, who would hide their ships somewhere hard to see from the shore. As a merchant ship passed by, Samuel would then send out a small skiff to go approach the merchants. Once close to the ship, Samuel's men would then make an offer to trade, specifically desiring guns and gunpowder, and presumably offering an attractive price. If the captain of the ship took the bait and sailed ashore on a rowboat, they would likely bring many of their most competent fighters with them, just in case anyone on shore tried something funny as well as a sizable chunk of their ship's powder and weapons to trade. When the captain arrived on shore, Samuel's pirate allies then sprung into action, sailing their ship from a hidden location onto the open sea and threatening to attack the merchant vessel. 
Samuel then offered to help the merchant captain, for a price, that is. The desperate captain, unaware that Samuel and the ship attacking his own were in cahoots, could then be convinced to surrender all of their weapons, powder, and any other valuables they brought with them in exchange for buying Samuel's help. Finally, with all the leverage in his corner, the pirates then simply turned the acquired guns on the captain and his crew, and ransomed them back to their ship in exchange for the loot inside. With this scheme, Abraham Samuel not only captured the entire contents of a merchant ship, but also a sizable amount of guns and powder, all with minimal casualties. Believe it or not, the pirates of Fort Dauphine actually managed to pull off this elaborate scheme on more than one occasion. While still disliked by the locals, they couldn't deny that the pirates were becoming quite the lucrative trade partners in stolen goods. However, a scam like this couldn't last forever. Word traveled fast in merchant circles, and soon just about every sailor going around Madagascar had caught news of what was going on around Fort Dauphine, and that they should avoid offers to trade received off the coast. As passing merchants got wise to the ploy, Samuel was soon cut off from his main revenue source. He could still make a living from legitimate trading with fellow pirates, especially in the form of enslaving local people captured in war. In 1705, though, his luck ran out. That year, the still relatively young man caught a serious tropical fever and passed away. With the center of their political structure now gone, the pirates of southeast Madagascar quickly vanished from history. Whether they gave into infighting, were crushed by local enemies, integrated into the Antonosia society, simply left, or a combination of all, is a mystery. Due to the shortness of his period as a serious political player in southeast Madagascar, Abraham Samuel honestly has practically no legacy on Malagasy history as a whole. However, his story is undeniably fun to hear about, and a fantastic example of the globalization of the early modern maritime world. The fact that a man whose ancestors came from Europe and Africa, who grew up in the Caribbean, could end up raiding ships in Asia and eventually elevate himself to a position of de facto royalty on Madagascar is just undeniably cool. It seems to violate the assumption that history is a series of locally contained narratives that exist within a geographic vacuum. But hey, Abraham Samuel was a buccaneer, and pirates never have been known for following rules. Thank you for listening to the History of Africa podcast. If you like our show, then we would greatly appreciate if you could help support the show and our project of freely available online history education. You can do this by supporting us at patreon.com slash historyofafrica, providing us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, or by sharing the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy learning about African history. This episode is brought to you by supporters on Patreon, including Naomi Kanakia, Ayofagbamie, Dimitri, Emmanuel Zaudi, Alexander Travis, B.B. Milliam, Conrad Schwenke, Travis Bell, Johnny Knowles, Godfrey Sebelabie, Evan Edwards, Pascal Makocha, Joe Maxwell, Nkechi Nwawadike, Sheyuno Laurenti Main, Kwajua Manqua, Douglas Harder, Craig Bolton, Samuel Badu, Rassan Firgiani, Niti, Kitty, and Tariq Beetleman, among others. Thank you all for supporting the show. It really, really, really means a lot.